you give a first impression and then you give them your LinkedIn, like that's like a really strong one-two punch. It's like, okay, like this kid knows what he's doing. So the tip is use LinkedIn. And I very much admire both of their, you know, leadership skills, their management and their communication. Yeah. We're all really tight and we're really close. And I got to meet them um, through the UNITAR program. So I'm very grateful for that, to have those connections and to also be friends with them and to learn from them because they're very inspiring. Hey, I'm Stephanie. I'm one of the hosts of Never Too Early, a podcast where we showcase youth activists, NGO founders, and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I speak with Aiden Howe, the founder of Helpers for Helpers, a domestic worker social impact initiative, a UNITAR youth ambassador and co-founder of the Coalition for Minority Empowerment, whose work has been recognized by WEF, UNITAR, and Stanford. Most recently, Aiden organized and hosted the first ever 100% youth-led and run UN event in Hong Kong for UN International Migrant Workers Day. Listen as Aiden shares stories of domestic workers and highlights the importance of networking. Hello everyone, welcome or welcome back to Never Too Early. Today we're so happy to have Aiden here. Um, first off, Aiden, how are you? Hi, thanks Stephanie for having me. Um, I'm really excited to join the podcast. I've been listening in for a while and I really love the content you guys are pushing out. So I'm very excited to be actually featured on it for once. Oh, thank you. Um, so to start us off, this is a question we ask every guest. What is something that you're grateful for today? Yeah, um, today, oh, I haven't done my affirmations yet, but I'm very grateful for um, having the you know an amazing kitchen amazing food because i had a really nice breakfast i had just a nice breakfast for this with my dog and um i always eat the same thing every day and i still love it after having what do you get like every day a year and a half yeah i just have like oats honey berries oats. yeah and like i just had oats fried this morning every day. yeah it, it really like it sounds really bland but it doesn't it doesn't get better than that yes it's real good i agree um Okay, so that's a great start to our call. For those that may not know yet, could you give a short introduction of who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm Aiden. I'm a year 11 student from Chinese International School, and I'm the founder of Helpers for Helpers, which is a social impact initiative that focuses on, you know, helping migrant workers through representing them and sharing their voices. I'm also co-founder of the Coalition for Minority Empowerment, which is a coalition that I formed with three other minority empowerment based um, organizations. So that's Coexist, that's Kick Action, um, the founder of which Justin Kim was here before, and then also Second Strings. And we came together to form this coalition. We've been featured on the World Economic Forum. And just recently in December, we hosted um, the first ever UN led Hong Kong based event, I think, um, celebrating the UN International Migrant Workers Day. And other than that, I'm also very interested in crypto and blockchain. I'm a huge advocate for um, crypto technology, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And um, before we dive into it that much, let's start with the why. So what inspired you to start Helpers for Helpers? Yeah, so it was kind of a big mix of really good timing and also kind of, I guess, development and maturity. So. At the time, I started Help Shelvers almost exactly one year ago. And, you know, I never had the vision that I, it would end up like this. Like, I would never imagine, literally, like, when I started, I had no goal of making it this big thing and making it, you know, a huge part of who I am today. But it kind of just started with 
um, me kind of wanting to pay um, homage back to my helper. So I have a help, my family has a helper called Nana. She's been in my family for over 20 years, right? So she's been around like before I grew up. And she's pretty much like my second mom, you know, she, she literally does everything for me around the house. Like she helps cook, clean, you know, make, um, like do like simple things like wash the clothes and stuff. And like without her, like my family would be and my house would be like an absolute mess. So to her, I'm, I'm really grateful for what she's done for me. And I felt like I deserved or I had this obligation to pay back to her what she'd given to me. And I felt like I could do that in the way of giving back to her community, because, as you know, domestic workers in Hong Kong, they are a huge part of the Hong Kong community. They do so much. Like I read the statistic once that they contribute over like 60 billion dollars in GDP um, to Hong Kong indirectly and directly through, you know, their purchasing power, but also enabling families to have dual parent income. So they allow both parents to be able to go out and work. And that just does so much for Hong Kong's economy. They do so much for the families and yet they're treated, you know, very poorly. And they're probably one of the most marginalized communities in Hong Kong. So I felt like I deserved to pay back, uh, pay back what she had done for our family. And I felt like the best way to do that was through, you know, sharing stories. And funnily enough, like it just happened to be this school project. So I was, I'm in CIS and in year 10, we have this thing called Hangzhou. So it's like this one year boarding program. I was at Hong Kong doing it virtually at the time, but the unit we were doing was called Empathy to Impact, where you basically just choose a SDG goal and you, you know, create like some kind of social impact or some kind of social initiative around it. And so yeah, I chose to um, create Helpers for Helpers at the time. And I just started by sharing stories and sharing stories. But I knew that I wanted to keep it consistent because I knew I didn't want to be one of those things that quickly faded out. And yeah, it kind of just uh, grew into what it is today. So I'm very happy for the opportunities I've been given. That is so sweet. Like, I really agree with the idea that domestic helpers are a main part in Hong Kong. And I think pretty much every family has at least one domestic helper. My domestic helper was with us for like eight years, not as long as yours, but um, she still had a very large impact on my life. Digging into that a little bit more, could you explain what challenges do domestic helpers face in Hong Kong? Yeah, so I think that I'll first talk about what domestic helpers are able to do and like why a good relationship, which is one of the big things we promote, is so beneficial for families. So I think in the household, there are three types of stakeholders. So there's the domestic helper, there's the child typically, and then there's also the you know employers, the family. I think it's really beneficial that a domestic helper has a strong relationship with their family. And we've interviewed and we published videos before trying to promote this and showing good examples of what this looks like. We think it's really important, like firstly for the child, because if there's a strong relationship between the domestic helper and the family, then you know there's this establishment of a strong relationship um, between the employer and domestic helper. What this means is that the child is able to have a third you know, caregiver, a third kind of guardian that they're able to trust and rely on. And when, when you lose out on that, when you don't have a domestic worker or you don't have a very strong relationship, they lose out on that kind of third parental guardian. And especially when they're taking care of them a lot of the times, you'll see a lot of children, they actually like don't respect their domestic helper. We've seen stories where like these children do things like swear and kick and like scratch and like physically abuse the helper. We think that's really horrible. So when you have a good relationship between the employer and the domestic worker, you kind of model to the child how they should treat the domestic worker as well. And then for the domestic worker, it's very good for them, you know, because it's their livelihood, they're getting paid for this. 
you know, they shouldn't be discriminated against. They oftentimes face a lot of abuse. So that's physical, verbal abuse. That's also, you know, very poor payment. They're not given proper living conditions. They're not paid on time. They're not paid enough, things like that. And so when there's that poor relationship between the helper and the worker, I'm uh, sorry, the employer, it's very difficult for the, the domestic worker to have any leverage because they have very little power in the situation. You know, they're living in someone else's house. They have to do the work for them. They're getting paid. And also if they want to resign, right, they have to give a one month's notice, but the, uh, but the employer, sorry, can basically kick them out of the house at any given moment as so long as they have like their bags packed. So there's the, the power dynamic is very skewed. They're not given a lot of power. And then lastly, in terms of a good relationship for the employer themselves, they just get a domestic worker that's going to be more productive, that's going to be more happy, that's going to make the household kind of like a more vibrant place, right? Because if the domestic helper feels like they're being respected, they feel like they like, you know, they're they're getting paid what they're worth, then they're just going to be happy, they're going to be more productive, there's not going to be any complaints or any issues. And yeah, I think it's the best way to go for any family that wants to, you know, have a have a positive relationship with a domestic worker because it benefits basically all three stakeholders. So it's really important. Yeah, especially in Hong Kong, I think there are some cases that employers are very harsh on the domestic workers. Sometimes um, my mom and her friends, they would talk about their domestic workers as well. And they would uh, perhaps tease each other about their, their situations, but um, underlying there is a sort of power dynamic that is very imbalanced in the Hong Kong society. So um, just now you mentioned about sharing stories through your platform of Helpers for Helpers. I was wondering, is there one particular story or anecdote that you um, remember very specifically or it's very memorable to you? And could you share that with us? Yeah, sure. Okay, I'll share a sweet one then because I think this one's really, um, well, okay, not really sweet but it's like kind of it's a little mysterious like it's it's really something that's kind of odd um so i was at the help for domestic workers office uh back in october or november we were helping to, uh, to film a video project and we interviewed one of these helpers and I'll, I'll try to keep it really concise but basically this helper was working for a family of two so it was a, mo a mother she was quite old she was like around 60 and then she had a son who was 30 and he was also disabled so he couldn't speak he couldn't really move around properly. And so they had a really strong relationship, right? Like the helper and the employer were really close, like almost like family, you know, she, the helper would rely on the employer for advice and they would talk and they would, you know, like they would literally spend time as a family together. And so they're really close together. So typically what happens is the employer before dinner, she asked the helper to make dinner and then she locks her room and she just, uh, chills in her room until dinner time, right? And so the helper knocks on the door one day and she's like, oh, dinner time. And then she doesn't respond, right? Like for like almost an hour. And then all of a sudden the um, the son they had comes through, uh, like she he gives the helper a key, which the helper never even knew existed. She was like, okay, that's really weird. Like, why is he giving me the key, right? And so she uses the key to open the door. And then when she goes in, she sees the employer lying on the floor, right? Like Like, on the floor and there's like foam coming out of her mouth and then also on the bed there's like there's like these boxes and inside the boxes are like jewelry like money her, the helper's contract and stuff like that so basically what happened was the employer passed away and so no one really knows what happens right so basically you know the helper's really shocked she calls the police but wh where the story kind of um you know where it kind of ties back to the 
helpers for helpers part of this is that the the um the son was very you know he's very um in a lot of emotional grief right because basically he's he's lost his mom and he because of that you know the helper firstly she can't really take care of the son anymore right because there's no one that's paying her anymore so she has to go find a new job so she's basically helping to you know file reports she's trying to find a new job but also they need to take care of the son somehow right so what they do is i think they send him to like an asylum or some kind of uh like place where he can get taken care of i think it was a hospital at first it was a really tough process because the son was very you know he he was very tied and he had a lot of ties to the helper he's very emotionally angst and he was going through a lot of depression as well because of his mom's passing and so i remember she the helper was telling me how like when they took the son away to the hospital he was like screaming and like bawling and like he was like thrashing in his wheelchair and they still call every day now like they still have a really tight relationship but it was basically a lot of emotional trouble and also just a really weird like like situation like this weird mystery and no one really knows what happens at the end but yeah that's just one of those weird stories wow i mean like it, it's amazing you could use this platform to hear so many of these stories i would have never heard of it if like yeah. you didn't share it with us probably one of the craziest ones we've had but mm-hmm. yeah I, i mean it's not always um as good or as bad depending on how you view that story mm-hmm I, I I wanted to ask like apart from having such strong emotional ties with like the family sometimes it's the like the opposite side of the spectrum right are there any yeah. stories about like um workers leaving their home for a long time and they really miss home but um they have to be working here for like financial reasons or I don't know visa reasons and then perhaps having a rather bad experience in Hong Kong yeah Okay, this is uh well, this is kind of another kind of out of the box story, but I think it really ties well to that Fair kind enough. of stuck in Hong Kong for financial reasons and missing family kind of um narrative. So basically, I was working at I was doing some service at this place called Mercy HK. They're this really great um NGO that help people in poverty by running like secondhand shops and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I met this woman at um we were just having a talk, and I met this woman called Reshmi. So. Reshmi, I believe she's from Indonesia. Yeah, she's from Indonesia, and she had actually just got out of jail, like at the time. And then the reason she got out of jail is really weird, right? So basically, she had um. When she was in Indonesia, she was she was like confronted by this guy, I think, on the phone, about asking her to bring the suitcase to Hong Kong. Like that's it, right? She was like, "Hey, like I've got this suitcase. I forgot why." But it was like for some kind of tourist reason, and she was like, "Oh, can you just bring this into Hong Kong for me?" Actually, no, I think it was a person. I think it was like a, a person she knew. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, I remember she was telling me. I think it was it was a person she knew, and so she basically agreed. She brought the suitcase to Hong Kong, and then when she was going through immigrations, they went through the suitcase, right? Because they had found something fishy, and they mm-hmm. open it up, and like hidden like underneath the luggage, like underneath, underneath, like the luggage. Um, kind of like in between the casing there's like basically a bunch of drugs uh-huh. okay so that's not looking good for Rashmi Rashmi basically yeah she was put into jail like for she was sentenced to 21 years and so at the time she she basically just worked on her case like throughout that time so she was jailed in i think 2019 yeah 2019 and so from 2019 to 2021 basically she was really lucky she was able to meet um 
Mr. John Witherspoon, who r runs Mercy HK and also helps, you know, people who are in jail um, and giving them a second chance. But she also, he also just happened to meet Reshmi and he heard her story and he was like, okay, like, I believe you. I believe that there's something not right and we're going to try to help you. So they were basically just work. She worked on her case tirelessly, right? Like she's gathering evidence. She's calling people. She's getting, you know, witnesses. She's getting statements. And um, she was able to just like literally just work at it for two years. And she was eventually able to um, try and get a retrial. And she was, you know, she was ended up being discovered as being not guilty. I remember her telling me like it was a very emotional experience. She showed me like all the documents and all the, like, the witness statements and all the things she had to prepare. And then I met her at a really good time because she happened to just be leaving and going back to Indonesia afterwards. And I remember we, I, we posted on Helper Strawberries actually, but she got, she got back to Indonesia. She hadn't seen her family or her kids for like over two years. And like at the time they had no idea this was going to happen, right? So obviously it was very surprising to them. And yeah, it was just a, it was a very heartwarming experience to, to, I was really lucky to be a part of that and just meet Reshmi on that day where she was uh, going back to Indonesia. Wow. Well, all of these stories, I mean, it's great that, I think I said this already, but it's great that you can use this platform to learn about people's stories. Because one thing that I love a lot is just hearing people's stories. Yesterday I had like a three hour chat with my grandma and she just told me everything about her background in China and then how she came to Hong Kong and all that. I think it's very heartwarming and people do enjoy like talking about their stories and having someone listen to them. Um, yeah, yeah. More on that later, um, we could focus a little bit more on your work with Helpers for Helpers. Um, so right now, what you're doing is sharing stories, organizing different, I guess, empowerment initiatives. <laughs> How do you think Helpers for Helpers has impacted the community of domestic workers? Oh, okay. So I think there are like three main pillars of impact that we try to achieve. So there's firstly, um, yeah, like we said, stories sharing these experiences, providing them with a voice, giving them a platform to share them. Like you said, people love to tell pe stories. People love to hear stories. It's a big win-win scenario because you basically get to share these with other people and they want to be shared. And we just overall get more transparency. We get, you know, a greater sense of respect for domestic workers, which is, which is really important because they deserve the kind of respect for how much they do. Um, after that week, like we said, we promote employer-employee um, relationships. So we strongly emphasize how important it is for a mutually beneficial relationship between employees and employers. So we do this by working with NGOs like Help for Domestic Workers. So we, um, I have a really good film team. They're very talented and help to publish videos on that. Uh, we work with Help for Domestic Workers on that. And then we also do that like through, you know, those like informative styled um, Instagram posts. That's really useful for reaching out to specifically other change makers, mostly Hong Kong based youth. And we think that's important because they're the ones that it can actually, you know, take this information and then kind of apply it in their households. And then lastly is, you know, more um, service and outreach, you know, more community work. So most recently um, we hosted a event, actually, yeah, pretty much like last month um, at, we hosted a free cooking class. Have you heard of like the mixing bowl before? No. Where is okay. So the mixing bowls is a really awesome place. I love it a lot. Um, it's basically a place uh, where they host cooking classes. It's really nice, like not really like conventional cooking courses, but they come out like you, they give you recipes. The venue's really nice. 
and I've I've been going to their classes since I was a kid. Like I do summer camps with them where I just like show up, you know, put an apron on. Um, I would just learn how to cook, you know, like brownies, pizzas, pastas, um, what else? Like sausages, like these really great recipes, all really good food and ingredients. And I know I know the guy who runs at Victor very well, and he was actually really nice enough to host a free event for us. So we were able to get um, uh, domestic workers through public signups, some from Bethune House through our NGO partners. And we just, yeah, hosted a free cooking class for them. And they really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun because they got to, you know, learn how to make some new recipes, um, talk to other domestic workers. And it was a really good time. So, yeah, we try to focus on also promoting community outreach and trying to, you know, empower domestic uh, domestic workers through, you know, education and also, um, yeah, also just like to help them have some fun sometimes. That is amazing. I mean, like having a free cooking class, that's such a genius idea because my, my mom always complains that my helper is cooking the same same recipes over and yeah, over again. Exactly, yeah, yeah, you get something a little fresh. <laughs> yeah, I, I should tell her to join your classes. Building upon that, I would like to ask, what do you think would be the impact that Helpers for Helpers would bring in the future? Or what is your vision for this? Um, okay, so... I've been thinking about this a lot. So in terms of the short term, I'm just looking to expand, or not really expand, but to just like network and get helpers helpers out there a little more, kind of to evolve into more of a social enterprise, just so that we can kind of stand out. Because you know how like a lot of these projects are kind of seen as cast. And so I don't think that's really good in terms for like image. So yeah, obviously that's really useful. But also I'm kind of looking to expand into political advocacy next year or I, I guess this year. So we're looking at that right now as the Coalition for Minority Empowerment. I think it's going to take some funding, it's going to take some resources, but I think some of these policies need to change. There needs to be a little more power and leverage that is given back to domestic workers. And then also, you know, I'll probably want to expand to a couple other countries, just because outside of Hong Kong, there's lots of other countries with domestic workers, Singapore, Indonesia, Malaysia, um, even India. So I think it's important that this kind of sentiments also shared amongst other countries. Although I don't think the disparity is as strong in those countries, it's still important. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned about political advocacy. What do you think are the current challenges for youth to speak out for that? Or what do you expect would be the challenges for you in the future? Yeah, so probably the biggest issue is connecting. The first step is reaching out and kind of getting those connections, talking to people in government people that can help, you know, build you a case and like a research team to kind of uh, get it on the ground. I think that's going to be very difficult because I I mean, I don't really know any people in government. It's not like they're really going to trust us or they're really going to give us um, much respect. And you know how that is. So it's going to be difficult, but I think it's possible to just prove to them and I think I think it's doable. Like I've I've done it before. It's probably the strongest way is to get to meet people in person. And I think that's the strong power of networking. If you're able to make a very good good impression at an event, you know, like uh, you know, like Start Me Up HK, where Invest HK is involved, and there's lots of government officials. If you're able to make a very strong first impression and to show to them that you're actually worth what you're talking about and you're worth your weight, then they're definitely going to give you a little more respect. Um, they're gonna get, they're gonna take what you're saying a little more seriously, and if you really show them through your past work that you execute and you carry through on those things that you talk about, then I think it is possible to actually work with them to get advice from them and to kind of create a like 
uh, an advisory board even to help get political advocacy off the ground. Yeah, I, I agree very much with the idea of networking and connecting with people. And I think one of the most important things right now is really to network. A lot of people have different visions and ideas of what they want the future or the society to look like. But one thing that is lacking or um, that is harder for us youth to get is definitely networks. And if you can actually do that, anything could be possible. You could talk to anyone yeah. you want. Um, of course, that's why I think LinkedIn is so good. Like people, I get slandered for like using LinkedIn a lot. And like, uh -huh. it's really funny because like my friends are like, oh, he's using LinkedIn. But like, <laughs> it's really useful. Like I know a lot of other friends that do, um, that are building like social enterprises and they even have to get LinkedIn now just because it makes mm -hmm. you look so professional. It makes yeah. you look so like, you're like, oh, I'm actually doing something. And they can see it all. Like it's very easy for people to see what work you've done. And so when you like meet someone, you network with someone, you give a first impression and then you give them your LinkedIn. Like that's like a really strong one, two punch. And it's like, okay, like this kid knows what he's doing. So the tip is use LinkedIn. It's uh, it's powerful. It's powerful yeah. and it's useful. And the earlier you start, the better, honestly. Yeah, um, no, bougie it up, make it look good, yeah. <laughs> okay, Um. so before we end, we have a few questions that we ask every guest. Um, first off, what is a change maker to you? So you can define the word change maker in your own words. Okay. Um, well, I don't think it's really complicated. I think it's pretty simple. Mm -hmm. So I think the process of becoming a change maker is one, you know, you're able to recognize a global issue. So global issues are things like, you know, like inequality, climate change, sustainability, or like technology. And you recognize that global issue kind of in your own local community. And then ne next, you pinpoint the key primary actor. So who's being affected by this issue? And then lastly, you're able to create, you know, a more sustainable solution that is able to help these actors. And then lastly, I think the ultimate goal for becoming, you know, like a true change maker is eventually once you've done your work and you give, you actually give these primary actors the authority and power themselves. So you give them power to make the decisions and perhaps if they've, if it's kind of like a, a gradual process, then you eventually give them authority to be able to help other people. So I think it's really important that um, the key terms I think are sustainability, being able to highlight, you know, primary actors need, and actually being able to help what their key needs are. And then also, you know, tying it back to a global issue in a local context. Yeah. Those are very practical tips. So listeners, you can take notes right now. Um, and moving on from that, who is one female entrepreneur, activist, or change maker that you look up to? Um, I'd probably have to say, I don't know too many, like, mm -hmm. but pro I'd probably have to say Bella from um, CDNAS. Oh. Uh, I met her through the UNITAR program. Yeah, I know she's been interviewed on here before, yes. um, but I met her through the UNITAR program. And at first, like, I didn't really know much of her work at all or what she did. But then as I got to know her, I discovered what she had done was very extensive. Well, firstly, her work with thalassemia, she started at a really young age. And then also her work with CDNAS and the Global Goals Council. I think it's really impressive what she's been able to build up, but also how she's been able to kind of network, network into so many different parts of her life. So she's been able to get it through, you know, global organizations, to her school, to her classmates. I think that's really impressive. I think it's really powerful. And to have that kind of a school backing you for support, I think that's one of the best support networks that you can have. And 
in terms of building sustainability and social impact and also in terms of like promoting um you know her events her work stuff like that and then also uh i'd have to say cadence wong from sdc i really love her work at SEAHK. i think it's super impressive how she's been able to basically you know um take over and handle this entire hierarchy that is very extensive that's i think that's really impressive and i very much admire both of their you know leadership skills their management and their communication yeah we're all really tight and we're really close and i got to meet them um through the unitar program so i'm very grateful for that to have those connections and to also be friends with them and to learn from them because they're very inspiring mm -hmm. i love how like when i asked this question you actually talked about a few friends of yours like these entrepreneurs or activists or change makers it doesn't have to be very distant or far away from your life it could actually be someone that you're close with and you look up to um and that's really sweet uh we can tag um bella and cadence in our instagram post so they they would know you talked about them um so okay. before we end what is one final piece of advice you would like to give to excited youth out there looking to make a difference Okay, um, probably just like trust in the process, just like take it easy, take it slow and be patient because I think people see a lot of past projects, they see what people have done, they're like, wow, like, I could do that, I could, I can build that up. And so they kind of rush it, right? You know, they don't spend the time looking for the right teammates, they don't spend the time really drafting out a proper network and a proper goal and source of impact to make like actually useful and sustainable change for primary actors and yeah overall like it kind of blows up in their face right for me i i started really small i didn't have any you know goal of being this big in mind and so i think it's really important that you start small you can have a great goal in mind but start small start small your impact because that way you're able to slowly build it up you're slowly able to get more networks and rep, uh, build reputation through your work and then from then you're able to you know really connect with uh, big ngos you're able to partner up with global organizations you're able to partner up with other um youth initiatives and that what you get is that you can build that um change a lot faster and but also like try to keep it sustainable right because you're only really in school like a lot of these kids who are starting social initiatives you're really in school for only like three or four more years so i think it's not about what you yourself can achieve in those three or four years, but it's more about in those three or four years, how can you make it sustainable so that when you're in college and when you're working, there's someone else that's being able to take on the mantle, that's able to carry on the legacy of whatever social impact and whatever social organization you've created. So I think that's really important to have sustainability, to have kind of, again, like to give authority and to give power back to primary actors so that they can handle it themselves. And then lastly, kind of more as like a college thing, like you don't always have to go down this route of social impact. Like I think a lot of kids, when they think about college applications, it's not really that important. And they kind of see it as like a checkbox uh, that you have to kind of tick off. And so the issue with that is that the, you, you have all these social organizations popping up. It's extremely saturated, as you know, like there's a lot of different organizations for almost every issue. And so it's kind of like if you're not fully committed and if you're, and the truth is like, if you're not really interested in social impact, then you're probably not gonna get, you know, this big result that you're hoping for because you, it's not really worth the time and resources unless you're fully committed. Like, unless you're willing to fully commit, then it's not really worth it because oftentimes it will not do as well as you hoped. And in terms of like a college standpoint, it's kind of seen as just like another cast project, right? It's not really seen as a social uh, initiative. It's not really seen as a, um, a social enterprise 
or kind of like this sustainable organization, which is the ultimate goal that we want to reach. So unless you're very passionate, unless you're really interested in really doing it for the purpose of helping people, I don't recommend starting if it's only for the purpose of ticking off a box for going to college. Yeah. That is so true. And the thing you said about like this youth-led organization thing being so saturated. It's important to be interested um, it is very saturated. Mm-hmm. So another tip for that is just to have some kind of impact that's very niche. Like it could be very weird, you know, like kick action, uh, you know, helping domestic workers through martial arts. That's super interesting. I've never heard of that before. And it, you know, it stands out. So try to think of some kind of social impact that's useful, but also interesting, right? Like go beyond Instagram posting, go beyond, you know, like there needs to be some kind of more engagement with the primary actors themselves, which I think is important. Mm-hmm. For the audience that want to follow on your journey, how can they do that? So could you provide any social media, Instagram, LinkedIn, any links? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so my social media is Aiden J. Howe. I think you should be able to find that. Um, you can find my LinkedIn as well. And then for social impact, you'll find Helpers for Helpers on Instagram at, you know, Helpers for Helpers. We have both a Facebook and an Instagram, so you can feel free to follow those. And yeah. That's where I'll be posting my content and giving updates on my social initiatives. That is perfect. And all links would be in the description below. Okay, so that is a perfect end to our interview today. Thank you so much, Aiden, for coming on. Um, It was an amazing conversation. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm very happy to um, have the opportunity to speak on Never Too Early. Thank you to Aiden for coming on the podcast. If you would like to hear the insights of other young changemakers, tune in to this podcast every Wednesday. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this podcast now. To stay updated and involved, follow at nevertooearly.pod on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Bye!